Okay, let me open up our time in a word of prayer, and then we'll dig into our next uh, session on Christians in the workplace. Uh, would you pray with me, please? Lord, we give you thanks for your word, and especially this truth that we've heard this morning, how there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are grateful for that truth. Lord, that impacts everything that we do. And Lord, now as we turn our attention to how we are to live as believers in our workplace, I ask that you would also stir our hearts to love you more, to love others more, and to be an influence in the circles where you have placed us, Lord, all for your glory. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we have been building brick by brick, putting together our structure for Christians in the workplace. And this morning we're going to be looking at our new goal. I put it up there on the, on the, the screen, the restored motivation to work. This is class number four in our series, and it's rapidly coming to end, so I know there's just so much to cover during this time, and uh, I, I just pray that I can communicate accurately what God has given me to share with you guys, because there is so much, and uh, I'm just thankful to have the opportunity uh, so that we can all grow together in the way that we are impactful where God has placed us in our workplaces. Okay, so uh, in his 1985 paper entitled The Abolition of Work, author Bob Black, he asserts, no one should ever work. Work is, near, is the source of nearly all the misery in the world. Almost any evil you'd care to name comes from working or from living in a world designed to work. In order to stop suffering, we have to stop working. That's a Bob Black assertion. Now, I, I typically don't quote a utopian socialist when I'm speaking, but I, I just thought it just, it, I was amazed that I actually read, I read Bob Black's entire paper on the, on the work. And uh, I was just so amazed how somebody could be so diametrically opposed to what God's word says. That term diametrically opposed, it's an interesting word. If you think of a circle, it has a diameter. So diametrically opposed means, you know, you could be going that way, but diametrically opposed is you're, you're 180 degrees opposite. And so that's what I, what I observed as I was, I was thinking about Bob Black and, and just how off he is compared to what God's word instructs us with. Well, we know that God has commanded us to work all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 19, when God created man to work and gave him a specific task. And this is reiterated over and over again, and I hope you've kind of gotten a little sense of that as Luke and I have, have uh, just worked our way through these different uh, items that we've discussed regarding work. Solomon, he writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, and this goes right along with that book that I shared with you guys earlier about living life backwards. Solomon asserts to counter what Bob Black says, there is nothing better for a man to work. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? Talk about the diameter, the diameter right? Diametrically opposed. But I find it fascinating that he instructs us that we need to tell ourselves that our labor is good. Because we can lull ourselves into this comfortable apathy and we kind of forget while we're working. And so we need to be reminded over and over. And that's part of the reason we're doing this class is to just be able to think some, through some of these things, the reasons why we work. 
Well, looking at our, our, our uh, title for this morning, a, a new goal, the restored motivation to work, that just implies that something was wrong with it, right? It's restored, it's new. And we've talked about the last couple of weeks what some of those issues were, where we had work as an idol, or we found ourselves being lazy. But now in light of Christ and the work that he has done, we have a new boss now, and that is to give us a new motivation, a restored motivation. The other day I was thinking about all the jobs I had, so I spent some time, I listed them all out, and um, I've got 19 of them since I started all the way back uh, 30-something years ago. And I know Isaiah Maynard, his list has 30-something, so it blows mine away. But uh, there was 19 of them on my list. And as I thought back and just kind of reflected on those jobs and the reasons that I was motivated to work, I had some pretty weird motivations, actually, looking at those. And honestly, I had some pretty odd jobs. One of them was, was lube and oil technician. And this is, in fact, how I made it through calculus. I was down in the pit there between cars, and I was studying math with my buddies. And uh, we, we were able to get through uh, engineering classes together by, by working there at that lube and oil shop. But one of the things we did to entertain ourselves occasionally, um, I can remember one instance on April Fool's Day, you know, we were, we, we, uh, the guy up on top would pump the oil in, the guy on the bottom, you know, after he drained it, he put the drain plug back in. And then we'd start the engine up to run the, in, the oil through the engine so he could check it. Well, we had the bright idea to, you know, when, when we started the engine, I started banging on the oil pan with a wrench. And uh, the guy is standing there, you know, the owner of the car is standing there with just giant eyes. And then I yelled up from the bottom, April Fools. And as you can imagine, that did not go over too well. <laughs> this guy, he was furious. He, he didn't want to pay us or anything. And he just tore off out of there. And of course, you know, we laughed our heads off as as teenagers and it was a wrong motivation to work right we were having fun messing with people and i would say that's that's not a great motivator for for working but i wish i would have understood some of these truths now uh, back then it would have saved me a lot of heartache i think so i just wonder how could a guy like bob black be so convinced that the source of all misery and evil in the world comes from work well, I'd like us to see this morning that our motivation comes from God's saving grace. He is the initiator of that work. He is the one who does all the work. And that leads us to our big idea. God's work in restoring us to himself should restore our motivation to work. He gives us a new motivation, a new goal, a new reason to go to work tomorrow. But I also want to be sensitive to those who may find themselves in just a difficult work situation. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. And maybe you're just looking at that big idea and go, okay, I know that God has redeemed me. I know that God has saved me. I'm still struggling, Dave. I don't know why I should go to work tomorrow. I would hope that you could see that if you just spend some time with the Lord tomorrow morning when you wake up, pour your heart out to him, ask him to give you the strength to get up and go to work Trust that God's promises are true. And we're going to look at six motivations here in a second. And after I studied through this, I was like, well, these are not really motivations. They're actually commandments. These are things that faithful believers do day in and day out for 30 years, 40 years, as we spend our times working. So in light of this truth, let me just put this question to you guys. It's kind of an interesting one, and I'd love to hear your feedback from it. Why should you go to work tomorrow? What would you guys say? It's an interesting one, interesting question. Give me some answers. Since one gives me strength, 
To what? To fund your ministry. To fund your ministry. Okay, great. Absolutely, that's great. To fund your ministry. What else? Any other motivation? You guys got to have motivations to go to work tomorrow. Come on, what are some? Feed your family. Feed your family. Good one. Yep. What else? Build relationships with coworkers. Yeah. Build relationships with coworkers. I'm going to repeat them so that they get picked up on the microphone. What else? Man, you guys are not very motivated. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Not making sure it doesn't fall apart. Yes. People are relying on you. They need you to be there. Yep. Any other motivations? Oh. Fantastic. Super rewarding. You enjoy your work, right? That's one of the motivations we're going to look at in a second. What else? Anybody get a paycheck? It's okay to say that you get paid for your work. That's a motivator, right? It's okay. This is, this is actually, God instructs it that this is his plan for work as well. Okay, so there's a lot of motivations here that, that we, we, we can look at. Uh, one that I've been particularly convicted about this week as I've studied this, and I, I just see such a shortcoming in my own life, is that work has become a habit at times in my life. Like, I'm so used to working, I'm so used to going to work, I've been doing it for 30-something, 36 years now, and sometimes I just go out of routine, but I find myself thinking, is that really worship unto the Lord? Am I really bringing him glory if I'm just doing it out of rote and routine? I don't think so. And I've been convicted about wanting to work on that and see a change in my life as I work through that. So God does want us to work, and he's given us some motivation. So we're going to look at six of those here this morning. And what I don't want you guys to walk away from here is that you look at these, these lists of six motivations. They're on your sheet there. I don't want you to look at this and say, okay, this is just a quick fix, right? If I just do these things, my work's going to be fantastic. Everything's going to be wonderful. That is not what I'm aiming at at all. These, these are, like I said before, these are really, these are things that, that faithful believers do day in and day out. They are commands from God's word. So motivations probably isn't a great word, but I, I want you to see the connection there. So that's what I have down. Okay, number one, work out of a love for God. So in loving God and thinking about what that means when I love God, what immediately came to mind is that I want to glorify God in my work. I want to be obedient to him. We'll see in a second here, just as Christ submitted himself to the will of the Father by, by doing what, what God commanded him to do. God has also instructed us that we are to work. So how can we give glory to God, glory to God in our work? Well, it made me think about like, what does it mean to glorify God? It's an interesting question, right? We throw that term around a lot, but what does it really mean? How about this is a really, this is really cool. It means to give an accurate representation of. To glorify God means you give an accurate representation of. To acknowledge his greatness and give him honor for who he is. In a sense, we're agreeing with the character of God. We're agreeing with his attributes when we give him glory. This begs the question, though, if God is already glorious, how can we give him more? How can we give him glory anymore? Well, we are instructed in 1 Chronicles that we are to ascribe glory to his name. Now, ascribe isn't a word. How many of you guys use the word ascribe this week? Probably not. It's, a, it's not typically in our vocabulary. Ascribe means that we are going to regard a quality as belonging to. We're going to say, Lord, you are set apart. You are holy. You are worthy of our praise. 
You are different than us. That is ascribing glory to God. So how does that relate to our work? Well, in loving God in our work, we are able to make much of him, make much of Christ. Just by going there and doing those repetitive tasks that we do day in and day out. And, uh, you know, I've shared a little bit about how, you know, I don't love doing spreadsheets, but even in spreadsheets, you can find the glory of God. How? Well, you look at the order of this. You know, God created the order in nature. We see it's so clearly manifested there. And I'm kind of a nerdy guy, so I, I, I can look at the spreadsheet and go, okay, well, this was built on some APIs. Anybody know what APIs are? application programming interfaces. This is what the program was built on. Okay, go down another level. We have assembly language down there underneath the APIs maybe. Go down a little bit lower. You've got transistor level logic happening. Keep going down. You've got the silicon wafer all the way down to the sand. God made the sand, the silicon, so that I could do the spreadsheets. I know it's kind of a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> I'm a little nerdy in that regard. Um, But anyway, yeah, God has given us an ability to make much of him in our work. And we are to submit to what he commands us to do. Ecclesiastes 9.10, it reinforces this again. And I would just encourage you guys, read through Ecclesiastes. This this book goes so well with what we're, we're learning here in this class. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. Okay, second command, second motivation, work to love others. How many of you guys would think that society would just remain naturally ordered and perfect and wonderful if there was no work? What if you showed up to work and there was no organization? You just did whatever you want. No, it's not the way it works. We work because we, are, we, we in a sense, we will submit to our bosses and they will give us tasks to do. They have created that structure and it just goes right along with the way God ordained his creation, the way he set it up. I love dystopian books about how the world's going to end. That's one of my, some of my favorite uh, fiction reading. And uh, while I do love those, I, just, I can't imagine what would happen if everybody stopped working. Some of the ones that I've read, I've read had to do with you know, most of the population dying, and then nobody works. And it's just total anarchy, right? It falls apart. That is not the way God set up our, our society to work. And I would even say that God's plan for work is essential in the way that he planned order and organization into our world. And the truth is that slacking off or, you know, not doing, working as hard as you possibly can, it's probably making more work for others. It's really not loving other people. 1 John 4, 19 instructs us, we love because he first loved us. So let me just put the question, you guys, when was the last time that you sacrificially loved someone at your work? When was the last time that you showed it, showed love for those, that person? Maybe it was your boss by the way that you worked. And what about this? What if they're really difficult to love? What if you're in a challenging work environment, your boss is toxic, it's really challenging? Is it possible to still love that person sacrificially? You can if you do it as unto the Lord. It is possible. I've discovered after many years of chasing after different careers and trying to satisfy myself in so many ways that some of the most fulfilling things I can do is by serving other people. Sometimes it's out of the context of my nine to five job. I can think of examples with, uh, with Tim Sears, my buddy back there. You know, we've, uh, we've had a lot of fun at his house recently drilling 27 inch uh, holes in concrete. 
We had to buy a special drill bit, and we just drilled and drilled and drilled, finally got through. And Tim and I have had a wonderful time. We've crawled around in his attic together, and I've made fun of him when he came out of the attic all dusty, and he made fun of me. And we just enjoyed each other. We enjoyed that common bond. But we're serving each other, right? We're enjoying one another. Briley Hughes, he's got, he bought a house over in West Valley that had some plumbing issues. So I went over there, and we looked at his broken plumbing pipes. And we tried to figure out how to saw them out of there and fix them, their old cast iron pipes. How could you have fun serving somebody if it's sewer pipes? Well, it's because, you know, you're, you're giving sacrificially of your time. And God, God supernaturally works in that. He gives you this satisfaction, this joy that can't be had by chasing after the things that you want to do by yourself. And on my drive home, I'm amazed when after I, I work with these guys and, and help other people. I'm consistently finding myself just rejoicing in the Lord that he's given me the opportunity to serve these men. And I really, I'm not boasting about this. I'm boasting in the Lord because he is the one that did that work in my heart. I wasn't always like that. I spent a lot of time serving myself. And by God's grace, I've learned to serve others. Okay, motivation number three. We work to reflect God's character. This makes me think about Christ himself. As the carpenter there in, in his hometown of Bethlehem, Mark chapter 6 tells us that he was a carpenter there. In fact, we read, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters with us? Jesus worked for 30 years of his life, right? And it's amazing to me that the creator of the world would humble himself so low to work in the carpenter shop. Here is the creator of all mankind making the footstool, right? Making the wheels, the, the toys, whatever it was that he, that he made, making things out of wood. This is just amazing to me that God would do this. But do you think Jesus ever had a bad day at work? I'm not a woodworker intentionally because I find it very frustrating, but I'm sure he had a bad day when you split, when you... You're trying to cut something with wood and it splits or you, know, you pound the nail in and it breaks. There's, there's a lot of things that can happen in woodworking. I wonder if he ever had a bad day. I suspect that he did. He, 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 he slipped with a chisel and broke the chair. He had to deal with angry customers. I don't know what his dad was like. <laughs> Maybe he was, a, he was a difficult boss. But Christ worked to reflect God's character in all that he did. And he did it perfectly. One author wrote, here is the one who had masterfully fashioned humans from the dust of the earth, and now he's making chairs for people to sit on in their houses. What a picture of humility we see. That is the attitude that we want to take as we go to work to reflect God's character. We want to show others that we work with true humility. Motivation number four, there it is. We work for money and reward. How many of you guys have any bills you got to pay? Anybody have some really big bills? <laughs> sure, we work because we need to take care of our families. We need to pay our bills. We need to provide food. It's okay. God has set it up this way. And I put some scripture references there on your sheet. Some of those you can look up. Certainly, we work for a temporal reward when we get that paycheck every week. 
But as, as uh, Luke talked about a little bit last week, is that we also have this heavenly, heavenly reward that we are working towards. Colossians 3, chapter 20, uh, Colossians 3, 23 and 24, we, we uh, talked about it last week a little bit too. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord rather than for, for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. That makes me pause and just think, what is the reward of the inheritance? Well, it is the total sum of everything that God has promised us in salvation. It is knowing Christ. It's knowing forgiveness of our sins. It's eternal life with him. It's being perfect again one day. I look forward to that. Have you ever thought about how much time you spend dealing with your own sin, the sin of other people? One day we're going to be free from that. God's word says that when we see him, we will be like him. And how is he? He is perfect. He is sinless. That is part of the great eternal reward that God promises for those who love him. Okay, motivation number five. Somebody spoke about it earlier. We work for enjoyment. Now, this doesn't mean that you're banging on the oil pan, right? And, and causing other people grief. God has brought me a long way from the oil pit. I'm now a robotics engineer. And I, I marvel at all the things that I've been able to do over that career that God has given me. But sometimes I even struggle with, Lord, am I really, what I'm doing as an engineer, is that really bringing any eternal value? But I'm reminded that the fact, just because God put me where he wanted me to be, that has eternal value. God doesn't make mistakes where he has you in your work. He put you there for a reason. And that has eternal value. Going back to Ecclesians 5 again, here is what I have seen to be good and fitting to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself and all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the very few years of his life, life which God has given him. For this is his reward. God has given us those things, not because that's all there is, because that is what there is. And I would encourage you, if you're struggling in your work, trying to find ways to enjoy your job, bring, bring, bring your scale down. Look at the smaller things. There's got to be something there. Look for the ways that you can enjoy your job, even if you're in a difficult work situation. Okay, motivation number six. We work to adorn the, the gospel of Christ. What does it mean to adorn the, the gospel of Christ? It means that we make much of Christ. We make it more beautiful and attractive. We make him more beautiful and attractive. God has placed each of you specifically in that place to make much of Christ in the eyes of unbelievers. Now, I am convicted that I don't always do this. Sometimes I have a bad attitude at work. Maybe you guys do too. You probably do. <laughs> and I've had to go to my coworkers and ask for forgiveness. You know, I'm sorry that I reacted that way. And then it opens up opportunities for me to share a little bit about why I'm different. Why, why do I, you know, say dumb things like that? Why is it important that I reconcile with you? And it leads to this wonderful story of grace that I'm able to share with people. So we can enjoy our work and we can work to adorn the gospel of Christ. Matthew chapter 5, 16 
Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. There is, your coworkers are watching you or watching everything you do. And I'm convicted when I think, Lord, would they be able to notice anything different about me compared to the other guys? I pray that that's true. Hebrews 12, 2, For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the adornment of the gospel. This is the beauty of what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. Okay, so we looked at some motivation. So now we take all this. What do we do with this? What, what's the big, what's the what, the, the what now, the so what? Well, I can imagine that some of you are probably here and you're just feeling that burden, that, that weight of going to work. And I would just encourage you guys with Matthew chapter 11. And Danny even talked about it here this morning in our, in our service earlier. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If your motivation tank is low, you're not sure why you should get up and go to work tomorrow. It reminds me of a saying, you know, if you ask Jesse and Joey, I have these dad sayings that I throw out every once in a while. Joey, what's one of my dad sayings? I take a gander at it. So I don't know where these come from, but once you're a dad, you like you speak wisdom. <laughs> one, of, one of my dad's sayings is, is uh, my get up and go got up and went. <laughs> Sometimes you experience that on Monday morning, right? My get up and go got up and went. If that's you this morning, you're struggling with why these motivations are important. I would ask you just, like I mentioned earlier, cast all those burdens upon the Lord. He wants to share in those difficulties with you in your work situation. He cares for you. Well, I looked up Bob Black the other day. Uh, on, he's actually got a Wikipedia page, interestingly, and um, he's 71 years old now. And I actually spent a good amount of time praying for Bob Black that Bob would somehow come to know Christ, that, that God would bring another believer into his life to share the glorious gospel with this man. On Bob Black's Wikipedia page, it lists his main interests as refusal of work, post-industrial society, hunter-gatherer, and historical anarchist. But God would love to restore Bob Black Restore the relationship that is broken because of Bob's sin. God would love to have Bob Black understand that he can work for a reason. Lord, would you be so gracious as to save Bob Black? And friends, that same forgiveness is available to you too this morning if you're struggling, if you don't know Christ, and you're wondering where that motivation is truly coming from. God is waiting to restore you as well. If you would just humble yourself and ask him to forgive your sins, he will cleanse you from unrighteousness and give you the motivation you need to get up and go. It may be difficult for each of us here. Some of us are probably struggling more than others when the alarm clock goes off tomorrow morning and we go, ah, oh, gotta go again. 
I just want you to think about these motivations, which are actually commands. Think about the reasons that God has placed you in your work situation. And I would encourage you, if you don't have this already as a part of your, your normal cadence of your, of your walk of faith, get up early if you can. Pour yourself some coffee. Find a quiet place and just meet with the Lord. Pour your heart out to him. Say, Lord, here is all the junk I got to deal with in my day. I'm stressed out already. I got these interpersonal relationship issues that I'm working through. Pour all that into a giant heap. Say, Lord, I give it all to you. Give me the strength to live for you, God, at my work. He wants to share in those struggles with you. Enjoy him in that moment. Commune with him. Share your life with him and your work difficulties. In conclusion, you know, the other day I, I had a conversation with a close friend of mine and he was like, Dave, why don't you just, why don't you just um, uh, go into full-time ministry? And I was, I was quiet for like 15 seconds. We're on the phone. I was like, it's a good question. I, I didn't say that. I was thinking. And I said, I said, Tolly, you know what? That's his name. I have the opportunity. I am blessed to be able to do both. I'm able to work in the position that God called me, and I'm able to be in full-time ministry as well. And while, you know, you look at that and you think, well, we have this picture in our mind of what full-time ministry is. It's what Lucas does. It's what the pastors do. Friends, every one of you are in full-time ministry. Don't separate your work from the ministry that God has called you to do. Those things are together. What you spend your time doing just a little bit different task than what Lucas does. But every one of you is a full-time minister. That really crystallized something in my mind as I was thinking about my work. And I'm thankful he asked me that question because I'm, I'm grateful to be able to share it with you guys this morning. God has indeed given us the opportunity to be salt and light where he placed us. So after you've met with the Lord tomorrow morning and you had your coffee, you've communed with the Lord, Get up and go.